0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn his truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 11, verses 37 through 45, it's where we left off last week. John chapter 11. Verses 37 through 45. Follow along as I read this. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the s- sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, By this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I say it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him, and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. The Lord, we pray that as we contemplate these truths from your word, Lord, that they'll ring true in our heart and help us to realize that all needs to be done for the glory of God. And, Lord, that you have all power in heaven and on earth. And, Lord, that you can do your will. Lord, we pray for your will to be done in our lives, that we may faithfully live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and only maybe a couple others that we have recorded in, in the scriptures? and And we don't know how many people he actually healed, but it wasn't everybody that he came in contact with. Why was Jesus selective in what he did? Well, that's a good question. We don't know. But there is a reason behind it. If Jesus raised everybody from the dead, if he healed everybody of their sickness, he would have really gained so much popularity. Everybody would have been flocking towards him, and he would have gained all the glory. But there's one thing that we're going to see over and over again. Everything that Jesus did was not for His glory, but for the glory of God. And then by God being glorified, in return, Jesus would be glorified because He would be associated with God the Father. So all that Jesus did was for the glory of God, and we're going to see that uh, over and over in our passage today. But Jesus consistently pointed towards his relationship between himself and God the Father. Raising Lazarus from the dead was going to be Jesus' last miracle or sign uh, in his earthly ministry. Now, he's going to do some more miracles. One of them is raising himself from the dead and then a few others after his resurrection. But this will be his last sign or miracle prior to his resurrection. Now, if you'll notice... In the very first verse I read, verse 37, it said, Could this man uh, who opened the eyes of a blind man... So the last thing that the people remembered about Jesus was that he, re- that he opened the eyes of a blind man, a man who was born blind. That was pretty spectacular because nobody had ever healed a blind man who had been born blind. That's the first time in all recorded history that a born blind man had, re- had gained sight. Not regained, because he never had it but he was given his sight. So that was still the talk of the town. That was still the last thing on the people's minds. So I believe that by Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, not only just raising him from the dead, but raising him after being in the tomb for four days, that's going to be the last thing on people's minds. I believe it's going to help the, his followers to truly believe in his power to raise himself from the dead. So it won't be that far of a... Of a, of a understanding of what the power of jesus christ truly is but here's the end goal everything jesus did was for the glory of god now verse 37 shows the doubt of the people and let's be honest we all have doubts about jesus about god sometimes we wonder why he doesn't always answer our prayers even when we assume that they are good prayers that they should be answered We believe that it would be right for God to answer our prayers the way we have it planned out. Well, that's kind of what Mary and Martha had gone through. They both said in last week's passage, Lord, if he had only been here, Lazarus, our brother, would not have died. Both of them said that. We look at that and we don't know exactly what their expressions were. Was it doubt? Was it frustration that Jesus had not come when they wanted him to come? Or was it just belief that he truly had the power, but for whatever reason he chose not to? What we do know is that Jesus truly had the power. Jesus had the power to to heal. He had given uh, restoration to leopards. He had given sight to the blind. He had given hearing to the deaf. He had actually raised two other people from the dead. But both of them were still, prior to being entombed, uh, uh, a widow's son and uh, Jairus' wa- uh, daughter were both raised, but they, they were still laid out. They were just you know, in the process of being buried. So if you remember what I shared last week, the Jews had this traditional thought that the spirit or the soul remained around the body for up to about three days, believing that the body could be resuscitated. So, so in those situations, people did not see it as, as big of a miracle as it would be For Lazarus, who had been in the tomb for four days, we know that after four days in that kind of environment, his body would have started to decay. And we know that from what Martha says in just a minute. So they're doubting, why, why, why didn't Jesus come? Why didn't Jesus heal him from afar like he had done before with the centurion's uh, child? We know that Jesus could do it, but why didn't he do it? That's the same doubt we have a lot. Jesus, why didn't you heal my loved one? When you had the power to do it. When you knew it was my heart's desire to see that. Or Lord, I was in a situation and you didn't answer the prayer the way I thought you could. I know you had the power to. Don't we struggle with doubt as well? We all do. Let's be honest about it. But look at verse 38. Jesus is groaning. Verse 38 says, so Jesus again being deeply moved within. Now, last week we had something very similar to this. I said, this is Jesus have a inner groaning. And we kind of related that to what the spirit does. when, When we pray and we don't even know how to pray, it says that the spirit himself groans with utterances that we cannot even understand for us on our behalf. Why would Jesus be moved in his spirit at this point? It wasn't because Lazarus was dead. He knew already, he had known for for several days that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't grieving over the death of Lazarus. Jesus groans because of the evidence of sin. He already knew that some would believe in him because of this sign and miracle, but he also knew that there would be many who would not believe. It's amazing that Jesus could raise a man who'd been in the tomb for four days and still people would not believe that he is who he says he is. See, Jesus hates the enemy. The enemy is Satan. Satan is the ruler of death. He is the one who wants people to die eternally. He does not want anybody to receive salvation and eternal life. And so Jesus is constantly seeing the evidence of sin. Death. And so that's why Jesus is groaning. He knows that Lazarus will rise again, but Lazarus is going to die again. He will will go back to that physical death. But Lazarus, when he rises, is not going to be spiritually alive. He's just going to be physically alive. We, too, ought to groan looking at the sin around us and the multitudes around us that will die a second death. They will die without Christ. They will die an eternal death. So we too need to pray for the lost around us. We need to show them the glory of God so that they too can experience eternal life. Then, Jesus is questioned by Martha. Now, Martha, not this Martha, but the Martha in the Bible, has a lot of conflict. If you remember earlier, Martha was uh, Mary was at the feet of Jesus, and Martha was busy doing the housework, making preparations. And she kind of fussed at Jesus for not making Mary come and help her. And Jesus said, Martha, you're so busy with so many things. Mary has chosen what is best. That's why she's at my feet. But then, last week, we see a wonderful portrayal of Martha. She gave one of the most powerful confessions of faith in Jesus that you can find in the Bible. Now, what we see here is not Martha saying, no, Jesus, no, I don't want you to do this. But Martha and Mary both were really not expecting Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. If they did, they would have expected him to have come immediately, even though Lazarus would have already been dead and raised him immediately. But because Jesus waited the extra two days because of the travel time, it had been four days. According to Jewish tradition, the spirit had already left the body. It it was no longer there. They knew that the body was decaying. They were not expecting Lazarus to be raised. So when Jesus said, roll the stone away or take the stone away from the cave, Martha just was very honest. Lord, why do you want to remind us of the stench of death? That's why we have the stone placed there. That's why we wrapped him in the spice-infused cloth so that we would not be smelling death and be reminded of death. Why do you want to open up the tomb so that we'll smell the stench of death? She's being very honest, very realistic. So there's nothing wrong with what Martha says. But here's what Jesus says. Verse 40. Martha, Did I not say to you that if you believed You will see the glory of God. Well, here's what we find out. Jesus did say, uh, Martha, do you believe? And that's when Martha gave her wonderful, powerful confession of faith. But when did Jesus say, and you will see the glory of God? It's not right there, is it? You've got to go back. Do you remember earlier in this chapter, a messenger was sent to Jesus to say, the man that you love... Is sick. Do you remember what Jesus said? Here's what he said. John chapter 11. Verse 3 and 4. So the sisters sent word to him saying. Lord behold the one you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this he said. This sickness is not to end in death. But for the glory of God. So that the son of God may be glorified by it. That messenger heard Jesus speak those words. He didn't hang around with Jesus for the two days. He didn't wait. He went back to his grieving people. You know that he shared Jesus' words with Mary and Martha. So Jesus rightfully said, Did I not say that if you believe that you will see the glory of God? That's the whole purpose of why he's come. To raise Lazarus from the dead. Not for everybody to see his power, but for God to receive the glory, and then for him to receive the glory from God. So we look and we see each time that Jesus does something is for the glory of God. And as he glorifies God, then people will see God in him. Now let me share something with you, because this is really the crux of this message. As we live our lives for Christ, who gets the glory? When we do something nice for somebody, do we want the pat on the back and the praise and adulations? Are we doing it for us? Or are we doing it for the glory of God? See, if we do it for the glory of God and say, you know, I'm just doing this because God loves you and I love you and I'm doing it because I feel God led me to do this. God gets the glory because God gets the glory, it will reflect on you. So if you're looking for praise, give God the glory. And it will be reflected back to you. But if you're wanting all the glory, and you're not doing it for God. You're doing it for self. And that's not of God. Then picking up verse 41. This is a prayer that's really not a prayer. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you have always heard me. But because of the people standing around, I say it, so that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus has already prayed. He already knows the answer to the prayer. He's already prayed. God has already spoken to him that he will be used to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why even do this? Well, the answer is evident. He's saying, I am saying this so that the people around me will know that it is you answering this prayer giving life back to Lazarus. Again, all for the glory of God. Now we come to the part that we've been waiting on for about three weeks. Lazarus raising from the dead. Look at verses 43 and 44. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, Found hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. First of all, it says that Jesus used a loud voice. Why is that important? Well, for a number of reasons. Want to make sure Lazarus heard him. But here's another reason. There were many who were enchanters or black magic type people. We call them witch doctors or whatever you want to call them. Who would mumble their incantations. Their reason for mumbling was so that somebody else could not pick up on what they were saying and try it themselves. Jesus wanted to make sure that people knew that he was not some magician trying to do some fancy trick. With a loud voice he said three words. Lazarus, come forth. Matter of fact, the, the direct uh, interpretation means Lazarus, here. Outside. Three powerful words. Now, you you've probably heard people preach this message before and said, you know, the reason why he used the term Lazarus is if he just said come forth and any dead person in his earshot would have came out of the grave. But we know that he called Lazarus by name. And Lazarus came forth. Now, There's probably a little bit of humor there. Can you imagine somebody wrapped up, trying to waddle to the opening of the tomb? That's really the picture of Lazarus. He's bound hand and foot, wrapped around and around with the burial cloths. His face was still wrapped around with burial cloths, And we look and we see a miracle. Lazarus is alive. Now do you remember? Jesus healed the lepers of their disease, which means he restored their decaying body. We know that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. His body had begun to decay. Jesus healed his body and brought him back to life. Now, here's something that we have to understand. There is a difference between what took place with Lazarus and what took place with Jesus. Jesus. Lazarus was resuscitated. Jesus was resurrected. Lazarus came back in a, his own physical body. That body was going to die again. Jesus will come back in a perfected body. A body that would never die again. A perfected body that could enter into rooms that were locked and the doors were never opened to allow him in. The tomb was not open for Jesus to get out. The tomb was open so that man could look in. We see that Lazarus comes out in his grave clothes. What do we remember from the story of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday? Where were his grave clothes? Still laying in the tomb. Jesus did not come out in grave clothes. He came out perfected. There's a huge difference there. There is going to be a day that we will die physically. And what takes place at the end time is something that we need to be prepared for. But Jesus was resurrected, Lazarus was resuscitated. The grave clothes. Let me just use that as a little bit of an illustration for a minute. Lazarus was still wrapped in his grave clothes. What did Jesus say? Unbind him and let him go. They didn't want Lazarus walking around in dirty, smelly, grave clothes, did they? It would be a constant reminder that he had been dead and still smelt like death. But here's the problem. We, before salvation, were spiritually dead. Doomed for hell. Spiritually dead. And yet, when we came to that point of saying, Lord, I accept you as Savior and Lord of my life. I want to give my life to you. I believe far too many Christians keep on the grave clothes. They never get rid of the trappings of the world. They never allow Jesus to truly be Lord of their lives and to live for Him in a way that brings honor and glory to Him. They're always being drawn back to the things of this earth. They're still wrapped in their grave clothes. They still smell of death. Y'all seen them? You see people at least claim to be a child of God, and yet their life is, is anything but. They're still wrapped in their grave clothes. We need to be mindful that when Jesus saves us, He transforms us. He gives us a new life, a new life to live. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus doesn't want us to have that same life that we had before salvation. He wants us to have a new life, a transformed life, an abundant life. An abundant life lived for him, for his glory, for the glory of God. So as children of God, we must ask ourselves, are we allowing the trappings of this world to hold us back from living the life that God wants us to live? Well, verse 45 gives us the result. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. That's a sad verse. You know why it's sad? It's not because many believed. It's because not all believed. There are people in our world today It doesn't matter what they see, what power of God they witness, they refuse to believe. Their hearts are disheartened against anything of God. They refuse to believe. That's why Jesus groaned earlier. Now, to close, I want to shift gears just a little bit. If you will, go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13 through 18. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. This is what happens when we've died. In the end time. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep or dead, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring, him, bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the, fall, until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in the Lord. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so, shall, so, we, all, so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, folks, if you are a child of God... Chances are we're all going to die before the Lord comes again. We will be in our sleep, our eternal sleep, until Jesus comes again. There will be people who are alive on earth. This is what many call the rapture, when Jesus comes for his saints. When that takes place, how that takes place, only God truly knows. Don't get caught up in that. Just know that it's going to be a fact that will take place. What we do know is that, as described here, there's going to be a shout from heaven. What's that shout going to be? We don't know. I have a feeling it may be something similar to what happened with Lazarus. It may just be, Steve, come forth. Because my name will be in the Lamb's book of life. He will know me by name. I will be one of his sheep. And you will be too. I feel personally that he's going to call me by name. I don't have any evidence to back that up. It's just my feeling. So that's not scriptural. But he's going to shout. And the voice of an archangel. And the trumpet of God. And here's what's going to take place. Those who are still alive on earth. They are believing in Christ. Will remain. For just a little while. But the dead in Christ shall rise. This is not the body that's coming out of the grave. Do you know why? It can't fly. Have you tried to fly without a plane or a glider or any other mechanism? You can't do it. My perfected body will. Because it will be fit for heaven. It will be able to meet Jesus in the air so that I can be fit for heaven. That's what's going to take place. With a shout. What that shout is, I have no idea. And with the trumpet of the Lord, I brought this. It's a it's a make-believe shofar. It's about three or four pieces of cow's horn all put together. But I'll see what I can do. Uh-huh. that's what we'll hear or not. Maybe. Maybe not. Are you ready? Sorry. Are you ready? Once we breathe our last breath, there is no more chance. We have to know now that we belong to Him. So that when that last day comes and He shouts and the trumpet of the Lord is played, We will rise to be with him for all of eternity. For the glory of God, we live. Not for our own glory, but for his. I pray that you know Jesus in such a way that there is no doubt that when you fall asleep for that last time, which Jesus finally said, He's dead, it doesn't matter how long you stay in the tomb a grave, or wherever your remains are, one day, there's going to be a great shout and the trumpet of the Lord, and we will rise to be with Him for all of eternity. That's what I'm looking for. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, Lord, we are so guilty of living life for our own desires. Or we love the attention of others. We love the praise of others. We love it when somebody else calls our name and praises us for what we've done. Lord, that doesn't give you any glory. Or that's just self-centeredness, pride. Lord, Jesus lived his entire life pointing others to the fact that he belonged to you, that you were God the Father, that he could do nothing unless you were the one who showed him what to do. Lord, all glory must go to you. And Lord, as we give you the glory, then the glory will be reflected back to us. Or that's how it was with Jesus. When he gave you the glory, then he received your glory. Lord, may we live our lives transformed by the power of the Spirit that lives within us, allowing you to receive glory and honor. May we live in such a way that we don't just live life, but we live life abundantly. A transformed life that is totally different than how we once lived. A life that lives for you. Lord, as we live that life, may we share that love. The love of Christ a love so great that he died for our sins and rose from the dead to give us salvation and eternal life. May we share that wonderful gift with all those around who have no hope. Lord, when that day comes, when the shout comes from heaven and the trumpet of the Lord is sounded, Lord, I pray that they will not remain in eternal death, but that the hardened hearts will be broken and that they will hear the truth. And Lord, that they will surrender to your love, to your gift of salvation and eternal life. Or may we be used by you to share this wonderful gift to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.